this morning we were pausing from our current sermon series on Picture Perfect to take a look at what Jesus, the one that scriptures point to, is doing in your life and in mine here at PCBC. The State of the Church is a time every year at the beginning of the year we take a look at what God has been doing, what God has been speaking into our lives, and where he is leading us in the days ahead. In light of that, you can see our theme is Next Steps, Acts 1-8. Acts 1-8 shouldn't be new to the fellowship here at PCBC. It is the guiding missional strategy. It's the verse from Scripture. The last words of Jesus he left to his disciples, they're the words we're seeking to live out every day. But what do those next steps look like for us? Well, we live in a country that is quite radically different than just even a few decades ago. Our nation is rapidly moving further and further away from the things of God and becoming like all other nations, clouded in the cloak of unbelief. The next generation is a generation like other generations in other countries that have no familiarity with the Gospels or uh, with the Gospel or the Scriptures. Matter of fact, Muggsy, who's sitting in, down here on the front, told me before the first service that just this last week, a first grader who lives by him was out playing and he just engaged him in a conversation and said, hey, do you know who Jesus is? And that first grader looked at him and said, who is Jesus? Wasn't even familiar with the name, didn't even know this Jesus. How could that happen in the buckle of the Bible Belt? Well, it's because our nation has become like all nations. It also has become like the culture of the first days of the early church. And we're going to look at that as we look into the book of Acts. We can no longer continue to do what we've done in Western Christianity. We can't just do church and show up on Sunday mornings and call that church. No, the church is the body of Christ glorifying God in all the earth. Look at it in Acts chapter 1. Go to it. Look at our theme verse, Acts 1.8. Jesus, before he would ascend to the Father, would give these last instructions to the first church, the first body of believers. And he said to them that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. This morning I, I want to encourage you with two things. I want to challenge you that as you are here this day, whether you're online or in this space, that you do two things. That you would first of all listen up. And not just listen with your ears, but listen with your heart. The second thing I'm going to challenge you to do is I want you to be looking, not with your eyes, but with that very same heart. So not the ears and not the eyes, but with your heart, I want you to listen in and I want you to look for things God may be saying to you because he is speaking to each of us who are part of the body of Christ. How do I know that? Well, we find this truth, Paul given the state of the church to those in Philippi. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. Philippians 2 and verse 13. Paul said to them and was teaching them that God not only did a good work for them, God was up to even more than that. Unfortunately, in Western Christianity, the work of Christ is all about a cross. It's about what he did for us at Calvary, and it's bigger than just saving you from hell and taking you to heaven. We find this in Philippians 2 and verse 13. It says, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, God just didn't save us to go to heaven. He has a plan for your life. 
He has a very specific plan that's bigger than all of eternity. It starts even now. It's called the abundant life in Christ. And it is the life that God wants to live in you. He wants to do a work in and through your life. Are you allowing God to do that? Or are you just resting in the fact that God did a work for you? Have you only taken it that far where you're willing to trust Christ with your eternity, but you're not letting Christ have your daily walk and your daily existence? God just didn't do a work for you. God desires to work in and through your life. And so Acts 1-8 is a picture of that. But the enemy who cannot touch your eternity can touch your abundant life. He can rob you of God's daily plan for your life. And so he has bought, or, or his game plan for the church is he's allowed us to buy into this reality that we hire our ministers just as long as we aren't a minister. What do I mean by that? Well, turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. God did a work for all of us. For God so loved all of us, he sent his only begotten son. Yes, he died as a substitute for us, as we've seen in Passover, as we saw uh, there in the Feast of Unleavened Bread that we've been studying. He did a work for us to save us. But he is not done working in our lives. He continues to work in our life every day. He not only made you a new person, reconciled to God through Christ, but in 2 Corinthians 5, it tells us that he gave us a new purpose, the ministry of reconciliation. You may know Jesus, and you may know that you're saved, but did you know you're a minister of the gospel? Anyone who has been saved has been saved to a kingdom purpose. That's what we prayed about in prayer time, that you are a minister of the gospel. We call it the stewardship of grace. In Ephesians 4, it talks about God's design of the church, and look at what it says in verse 11. He gave some to be apostles. He gave some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Why did he do that? So that you would have somebody hounding you about how spiritual you are or are not? So that there'd be somebody that would put a guilt trip on you to be doing stuff for God? Is that why he did that, to make you miserable? No. Look at verse 12. Look at why he did that. So that these pastors would equip you, the saints. Now, who's a saint? Who's a saint? If you know the Lord Jesus, you're a saint. I know it feels weird to raise it up and declare I'm a saint when you fall short of God's glory, but that's who we are in Christ. We were sinners lost in our sin. We've been transformed to a new creature, and now he calls us the saints, the children of the living God. That's who we are. And the Bible says God has given you pastors, not ministers. We are ministers alongside of you and with you. But so many in the Western church have bought into, we hire our ministers, they do work up there at the church, and we just go to work and we just go to school. And we've drawn this distinction and made the minister something that lives at a church building that does church services for you. The Bible says we are ministers of reconciliation, and we shepherd pastors, we are to equip you for what reason? To do the work of service. Every one of us should be engaged in the kingdom. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It doesn't matter where you might be as long as you're in Christ. The Bible says you should be living a life in service unto the king. Verse 13. And how long do we do that? 
until we all attain to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man and to the measure, measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I am greatly blessed, and I tell everybody this that I talk to, I'm a blessed pastor. I love our church family. We're not a perfect family, but I can tell you in all the years of ministry, this has been one of the most joyous flocks I've ever been a part of, uh, a church family to participate in. And I can tell you, we have a great pastoral team, shepherds that God has called out, men and women, to shepherd you, the flock, to equip you, not to do the work of ministry for you, but to equip you for your kingdom cause and for your kingdom calling. As we look at the church in America today, we find that the church in America, according to this passage, according to Ephesians, it is an immature church. How do I know that? Look at the three things that go with a mature body of believers. They experience a unity of faith. Majority of churches in America are spending so many uh, days splitting and fighting and, 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 and all these other sidebar issues of uh, dysfunction instead of sharing the gospel. A sign of maturity is the unity of the faith. A sign of maturity is knowing the knowledge of the Son of God, not having head knowledge of God. There are a lot of people that know a lot about God, but it talks about a heart knowledge, a relationship, a daily fresh walk with God. In our coaching ministry at Tall Oaks Coaching, what we're finding is even pastors and pulpits have been feeding the flock so much with their sermons, but they haven't been feeding their own soul and immaturity even in the pulpits. And the third thing is the work of service. It used to be that 20% of the church was doing 80 to 100% of the work. Now that figure seems to be declining in most churches in this nation. A sign of immaturity. Paul was saying that the shepherds are to equip the saints so that they might experience the unity of the faith, that they might grow in the knowledge of who God is, their walk with God, and then out of that, that leads to a life of service, serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So what I know is this. Every person who will hear this message in here today or online has a next step to take. It doesn't matter where you are in your spirituality or if you happen to have no spirituality. You could be here today and you're trying to figure out what does it mean to be spiritual? Is there a God and what does that mean in my life? You may be a seeker. Your next step might be a heart belief, a heart faith, giving your life to Christ. If you've given your life to Christ, there might be another step to take. Maybe there's a step of repentance. Maybe there is a step of plugging in to the knowledge of who God is in your life and growing as a disciple. There might be a next step of, of saying, God, I need to get off of my chair and into people's lives. I need to be ministering unto you. Here's what I know. We all need to take next steps. So did the first church. So let's return back to Acts 1-8, our theme verse, and let's break it down. Let's look at a couple things. What was their next step? Because here's what I'd say to you. I believe that we're living in days that match and are exactly like the days of Acts 1-8. We face the same unbelieving culture. We face the same issues of spiritual maturity and immaturity. And we also are seeking to know, God, what are our next steps? So Jesus instructed the disciples and Look at what he said. The first thing he told him to do is, before you do anything, wait. He told his first disciples that it wasn't about their doing that would make them right with God. It was more important about their being. He said, you need to wait for my power. 
for living your lives. What I'm going to call you to do, you can't do in your own strength. You won't do in your own strength. But I'm going to do a fresh work in you. Not only have I saved you from your sin, but I'm going to give you a resurrection power that will give you the ability to live life differently. Maybe for us, our next step is to confess, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to fill us and to flow from us. They could not do what they were called to do until they experienced the power of God in their lives. Too many people going to church, too many people who've looked to Calvary and they've been saved, but they're not living life in the power of the Holy Spirit. That may be your next step. But then we know, and we'll be studying here in the days ahead, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would come as they waited in that upper room, and he would fill them with his resurrection power. And as soon as that happened, as soon as they took that step, experienced Pentecost, their very next step was to take it to the world that needed what they had. They became his witnesses. Look at it again. He says, when you receive this power, then you will be my witnesses. I think the reason there are so few in the church that are witnessing of the Christ that lives in them is because they're not letting the Christ who lives in them live through them. They've not experienced the Spirit-filled life. They've experienced salvation, but they've not experienced God working through them. And when that happens, you can't help, when you're filled with the Spirit, you can't help but let it come out of you into other people's lives. It is the result of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so Jesus told them, you're going to get power, and then I have a plan. And you are to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of earth. Why did he use those four regions? Well, look at this map up on the screen. Here's what the region looked like in those days. Jerusalem is down at the south in that brownish, orangish area called Judea. Judea was that region of the south. You remember they were a divided kingdom. There was the north and the southern kingdom. You have now developed uh, the area called Judea. Jerusalem, the holy city, is found in Judea. And when God speaks to them, he says, first of all, when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to use you to make a difference where you live, your Jerusalem. We're going to talk about our Jerusalem here in a little bit. And then he said, not only are you to have a burden for where you live and the people you live with, it's to be bigger than that. Your Judea, your nation, your region of this world. It's not just for your city. It's not just for your neighborhood. It's not just for you. It's a vision for beyond you. That's Judea. Then you see up above Judea, you see another region called Samaria. Now, Samaria is that part of the world where Jews who had been left behind, you remember in Israel's history because of their disobedience, they had been conquered by pagan nations. They had been taken out into captivity, but there were some left behind. And those Jews that were left behind would intermingle and marry pagan people. And over the years, they would become known as the Samaritans. By the Jews, they were considered the unclean. They had corrupted the seed of Abraham. And there was a great hatred for those who had betrayed their heritage. And in that region, if you had to go from Judea to Galilee, you wouldn't take the turnpike through Samaria. They would go all the way out of the way so that they wouldn't be corrupted by even stepping foot in the land of the unclean. Talk about prejudice. 
talk about division. And Jesus says, listen, I didn't save you just so you go to heaven. I saved you to be my ambassador. And you are to proclaim the glory of who I am and what I've done in your life in your city, Jerusalem, in your nation where you live. And oh, even to those who you don't want to share the good news with. Even those who don't deserve it. Even in Samaria. And then you're not done even there. You're to take it even beyond Samaria into every other part of the earth. And so when he spoke that, that's the picture they saw. That's what they understood. What does that mean for us? Well, we break that down and we use those four areas to speak to us today. So our Jerusalem is not our city, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma County, the third largest county landmass-wise in all the, the nation. It's way too big geographically, and we're not the only church here. So for us, our Jerusalem is our neighborhood, where God has planted us in this part of our city. We'll talk about how we do that, how we make a difference in our Jerusalem. For us, Judea, for them, it was that region. Uh, for us, it's the rest of our city. And then Samaria, uh, for us, that becomes a couple things. It becomes the rest of our state, our nation, and hurting people that others don't want to help. That through prejudice or through preference have drawn away from or withdrawn from, we want to reach with the gospel. And then you have everywhere else. That's called the ends of the earth. So what do next steps look like? How do we do that? How do we make a difference in our city, our neighborhood? How do we make a difference here in Oklahoma City? How do we make a difference in Oklahoma and our nation? How do we make a difference all around the world? Well, today, and I've learned from the first service, next Sunday, we're going to figure out how to do that together, what God is calling us to do. And for us to do that, I think we ought to go back and we ought to study the first church, the first believers, what did they do to do Acts 1-8? Let me show you. It's pretty powerful. Go to 1 Thessalonians this morning. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's powerful. Paul is going to show us a video series, if you will. He's going to give us a photo album. How do you do Acts 1-8? Here's how they did it. Verse 1. He's writing to now believers in Thessalonica. Thessalonica was way beyond Samaria. It was an ends of the earth ministry. You see, they lived on mission. They took Acts 1-8 serious and they were living it every single day. They took the gospel. This is because of the second missionary journey that Paul would take with uh, Paul and Silas, I believe. And they would lead these Thessalonians, these Thessalonians to uh, faith in Christ. Now he's writing a letter following up with the believers in verse 1, he says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Notice he said, when we came to you. This wasn't in Jerusalem. This wasn't in their backyard. They intentionally went to this place called Thessalonica. He said, when we came to you, our labor was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. Paul said, when we came to you, it was hard times. It was not well received. We had great 
opposition, but they continue to live on mission. What I'm watching happening to the church in America today is we are withdrawing more and more from our culture because our culture is being more hostile than ever before. Our culture has made it very clear they want to do nothing with our message. They don't want to hear it. They don't want you speaking of it. You can talk about anything in this world you want to talk to, just don't talk about Christ. You can talk about other religions. You can talk about other holy supposed books. You can talk about any kind of weird stuff you want to talk about, and you can make your own gods, and you can talk about that all day long. Don't you dare talk about Christ. Just like the culture of Paul's days. Nothing different. But it didn't stop them. Matter of fact, it empowered them even more because the darkness needed the light. May we be a church like the early church. May we be so filled with God's power, it doesn't matter how hostile the audience is, we continue to go with them and it will not be in vain. He said, watch this, verse 2. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated, again, there they are living on mission. There again, they had hostility. He said again, amid much opposition, they continued to take the gospel. Why would they go to Thessalonica if Thessalonica didn't want the message? Because there were people there who didn't have the peace of God and the power of God that had changed their lives. They went to places because there were people there that didn't know the love and forgiveness of God. The hostility didn't stop them from maximizing every day and every opportunity. As a matter of fact, it drove them every day that they woke up because there were so many lost people that needed the Jesus that changed their life. The same is true at your schools. Never been more lost than the days in which we live. Same with the marketplace and with your neighborhoods. We are surrounded now by lostness just like they were in these days. So what do you do? How do you do that when you face a hostile environment? Well, do what they did. Go to verse 7. Drop down to verse 7. This is powerful. Here's what they did. He said, but we proved to be gentle among you. And then he gives a picture. He says, it's like a, a nursing mother caring, tenderly caring for her own children, her own baby. For we have found such an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but look at this next part and underline it. Not only were they sharing their faith, not only were they on mission, not only were they taking Jesus to people who didn't want to hear it, look at what else they did. Not only were we sharing the gospel, but also our own lives. You see, the early church understood how to reach people with the gospel. It wasn't shoving Jesus down people's throats. It wasn't pounding on doors and forcing their belief in their life. What they did is they came in and they tenderly and they gently loved people with their testimony and with their lives. We've spent the last decades as churches pounding on doors and doing the first part, telling them the story, telling them the gospel. But you know what we quit doing? We quit sharing our lives with the lost. We quit doing life with people who have no eternal life. We've just made it about the message. They understood it was about their ministry of loving people and sharing God's love through their story. The two go hand in hand. 
They showed up and they shared, but they also cared. Let me ask you this. Who are you intentionally sharing Jesus with through your life and through your story? Uh, We may talk about somebody we shared Jesus with at school or somebody we've shared Jesus with online, but who are you sharing your life with? Matter of fact, I think it's pretty fascinating that Jesus got rebuked by the Pharisees, the religious people of his day, because he was sharing life with lostness. He was in their homes. He was with them. And they're like, you are now corrupt. You are now defiled because you've been hanging out with the pagan. That's how Jesus did it. He loved them gently. But he just didn't live among them. He also shared gently with them. Matter of fact, that word gentle in the Greek, Paul says, we were gentle with you. That word gentle, if you do a word search, you'd think, well, that means they were just nice little Christian people. They were just sweet, did nice things for people, and they were. That's important. You can't be a jerk and introduce somebody to Jesus. They don't want your Jesus. But that word gentle is more profound in the Greek language. It literally means, let me, let me just read the Greek definition. It means this. It means to use calming words to bring God's order to a situation. So they weren't just being goody little two-shoes. Is that how you say it? They weren't just being good old Baptist folk. They were engaging them in life, and they were engaging them in conversation, and they weren't engaging them like we do. Oh, you, and put the label on them, you're sinning and dying and going to hell. Not real gentle. But they were truthful. They spoke calming words to them. They spoke about how they could experience life. That they didn't have to keep drinking from the well that they had been drinking from. Just like Jesus did with the lady at the well that was looking in the wrong thing. She was drinking the wrong stuff to try to find life. And he gently led her to living water. They were living among them, and they were sharing among them. I think there's some Christians who bought in the deal, well, I'm just going to be a good example. I'm going to just, I'm going to live, and we should. Praise God for that testimony. But that isn't enough. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word. And so they were showing the word through their life. They were sharing the word with their story. And this town that knew no Jesus now were known as the Brethren at Thessalonica. One of our very own, Patricia Baum, was in the first service. We've had a campaign about who's your one, embracing somebody who you could gently lead to Christ. Patricia, you may not know her. She works in our children's ministry area and and, uh, is now a citizen here of the United States. She grew up in Brazil. Her husband, Daniel, uh, grew up as a missionary kid in Brazil. And over the course of time, as he got older, he would eventually, and I don't know the whole story, but he would discover that this was God's will for his life, and this Patricia from Brazil should be his bride. And they got married, and they moved here to the United States. His wife came to know the Lord. She grew up around a Catholic environment, a religious environment, but not a relationship with Christ. And she became a believer. When we did our Who's Your One campaign, she started praying for her brother, her brother back in Brazil. Um, As she was praying for him, his name is Tiago, she began to pray with also her cousins and some other people. 
And God began to work and God began to move. As a matter of fact, Tiago and his family ended up moving to the United States four years ago. They ended up moving into Marietta, Georgia. And as they got to Marietta, Georgia, they found out there was a Brazilian church in Georgia. Kind of like we have a Burundi and South Africa church here in Oklahoma City that one of our mission pastors leads. They started going to that church. They started hearing the gospel. And then one day, Patricia felt led of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit was on her to call her brother. In that conversation, she said, I just knew I needed to share with him gently. She didn't shove Jesus down his throat. She didn't force him on him. She just shared what Jesus had done in her life and what Jesus had done for her brother, Tiago. Tiago listened to the gospel, and over the phone, she got to lead her brother to Christ. They were here just not too long ago. They were in our international Sunday school class, and they were reflecting on the story. And all of a sudden, it dawned on them. This is an answer to prayer. This is my one. Look at this picture right here. They went out into the hallway, and they gathered up, and she took them to the ping pong balls, and she said, you see that white ping pong ball? That's you. That's you. I've been praying for you. And you see that orange one in there? That's the new you. And they got to take a picture. Now, not only did the brother come to know Christ, but through that, his wife that you see in the picture and his son also gave their life to Christ, all because somebody lived it and shared it. Amen? Isn't that glorious? So who's your one? Who's, who's that person in your life that only you can reach? Somebody that you need to gently not only share Christ with, but share your life with. To invest and engage your life with them so that they might see Jesus in you and then come to discover that Jesus because you get to share God's story through your story. I hope you have someone. Well, what does that look like for us? So what I'm going to do today, very quickly, I'm going to introduce you to things that we're doing right now to do that in our neighborhood. We're only going to look at Jerusalem. Next week we'll come back, we'll look at Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You say, why one this week and three next week? Trust me, it'll happen. All right, here we go. Let's look at our Jerusalem. Remember, our Jerusalem is our neighborhood. And so for the last decade or so, we've been praying as a church, God, how can we invest in this neighborhood? The first thing God showed us uh, was one thing, our weekday preschool. Our weekday preschool has been around. We had to disband the preschool because of COVID. People weren't able to go to work. We weren't able to gather up, and there wasn't a need, and the school was closed. Coming out of COVID, it was put on the hearts of Valerie and others that we relaunched the preschool. We have done that now, and we have families from all over this neighborhood that are bringing their children into this developmental preschool who are being loved on by numerous teachers and are starting to connect to this family of faith. You might be able, and maybe you have some time. I know as the school is growing, and it's growing exponentially, we're going to need more teachers. Maybe there are some of you out there that could give a couple days a week. Uh, the school isn't open every day. It's only open two or three days a week. You may be called out to be a part of that team. You may want to come and just encourage those teachers by providing snacks for them through the day or being a prayer warrior over that school. You could be involved in that ministry that impacts our neighborhood. Our children's ministry will continue to lead us to engage at the first school we ever adopted, Wiley Post Elementary. 
If you don't know about Wiley Post, it's at Britain and just east on Britain, just east of Rockwell, and it's right in the shadow of our steeple. Why did we adopt Wiley Post and not Dennis Elementary or one just even a little bit closer? Because that school had more needs than the other schools. Every school has needs. This school had the worst test scores, had the worst poverty, had the worst challenges, and so we embrace that and we adopt that. God has given us great favor at Wiley Post Elementary. We minister to the teachers and the administration. Maybe God's going to call you to be a part of that. We send out prayer grams. We throw birthday parties for all the teachers. We find ways to help come in and provide substitution hours or, or assistant hours or help them do with their projects. Whatever we can do to serve them, they'll bring us needs, and we just need the volunteers. If you have some time to do that and would love to help at the school, let us know. We also started a WizKids program. Because of their poor test skills and their poor reading skills, uh, Gerald Deaton and Jeannie lead out in a Monday afternoon from 3 to 5 o'clock. We go pick up the kids at school. We bring them over here. We give them a fresh little snack, a little snack meal type of thing. We then spend time an hour, hour and a half practicing their reading, spending time. You get one child and you just get to pour in their life, and it's awesome. It's precious time. The sad thing is that school has a list, a waiting list of students who need our help, but we don't have enough volunteers. We're only doing a handful, maybe 20 or so, and they need us to do at least 50 to 100. We need more volunteers. Maybe God's speaking to you. And then our student ministry. God's doing some really amazing things through our middle school and our high school ministries. Uh, Hunter and Braden are engaged with Stan Stafford to do what we call first priority clubs. You've been praying for that. You've been hearing about them. Like FCA that you might have grown up with at your high school, and many of our schools still have FCA. First priority clubs are clubs designed to teach students how to reach students, how to go fishing on their campus with the gospel, how to tell God's story through their story. And so uh, Stan, with uh, Hunter and Braden's help, have launched five first priority clubs. We have them at Putnam City North right across the street. We have them at Putnam City Original High School, Bethany High School, Piedmont High School, and Cooper Middle School. Five schools, and every one of those have seen kids come to know Christ in this last year. It's been powerful. You say, how can I help with that? I'm not a student. Well, students, you can help. You can get engaged at your school. And if your school doesn't have a first priority club, we'll help you start one. You can get engaged that way. Adults, what can we do? Well, one of the ways they get them in there, they're either giving them a breakfast burrito if they meet in the mornings, I guess, or they're giving them pizza if they meet for lunch. And that takes a whole lot of food, a whole lot of pizza. You could help volunteer with those pizzas. You could be a prayer group praying for a school and embrace that in that ministry and expand that through prayer. Other ways you can do it. Also, as you know, Braden is our chaplain to Putnam City North football team. That's opened up a whole lot of doors for us. We feed the football team. We need adults to help with that. You could sign up for the football feeding time. Uh, the other different groups on the campuses got jealous of what the football team was getting and they call us all the time they want us to do the same for them we just need more volunteers and if you'd like to get in on that you can find Braden and he can help you understand how to engage with that and then in our adult ministry what are we doing in Jerusalem well starting with those who have graduated out of our student ministry we've had a growing college ministry called rooted rooted ministry uh, 
Brent Ross in here. Brent, wave at everybody. There's Brent. He leads it. Thank you, Jesus. That wasn't Brent. That was Arlene. But Brent, waving his hand, uh, Brent is leading that group uh, of reaching college students, and there's something really cool going on in that. And it started with a group that is now starting to graduate out that Josh McClellan's working with, and that's turning into young career singles. Many of those are leading right here in our church today or in this service and continue to find new ways to reach that generation with the gospel. If you want to be a part of those ministries, you can see Josh or you can see Brent. and You can be a part of one of the most exciting areas of growth in the life of our church. And then we also have in our community, believe it or not, not everybody grew up in Oklahoma. Have you realized that yet? Not everybody's an Okie. Matter of fact, it's bizarre to me, but there are more international people starting to live in this city than ever before. We are the 20th largest city now in our nation. I don't know if you know that. And with that growth, we have all kinds of people from all over the world coming to live right here in our city. We're blessed to be here in this Jerusalem, this capital of this state. And God is bringing the world to us. We have an international class that was started in the 1970s. How many of you were alive in the 70s? Just raise your hand. Oh, yeah. A fourth of us. Yeah, don't laugh. There were the 70s. They existed. We were there. You were not. And all the way back then, this church had a heart for international people. In those days, there were refugees from Vietnam and, and from Korea. They were transported and relocated in this city. They could not speak the language. They didn't know how to tip cows. They didn't know any of that stuff. They were looking for teepees to live in. They didn't know what this was going to be, coming to Oklahoma. And our church stepped into that and launched an international ministry in the 1970s. And it's been going ever since. I don't know if you know this, but on this campus every Sunday, on this campus, there are over nine different languages spoken in our international class. There's a host of countries from Russia, Iran, China, Brazil, Vietnam, South Korea, North Korea. Uh, I, don't even, I can't even list all, all the nations that are represented there. And they are coming because of our English as a second language class. And they are coming because they know there's a church that cares about all people, not just Okies. And in that class, there are Okies who are investing their life because they love people no matter where they're from. And maybe God would lead you to be a part of our international ministry. Maybe that's something that you want to engage in. Maybe you help with English as a second language. You say, I can't even pass English at school. Can I get an amen from half the congregation? I get it. We may not speak it great, but you know what? We can help them who can't speak it at all learn how to do it so they can engage in our culture. And what a great bridge you could build into somebody's life who needs somebody like you. There are other ways to invest in that. And a matter of fact, when we come back next week, we're going to look at ways we can reach the whole world, not just through an international Sunday school class, but through a number of different ways in our Judea, our Samaria, and the ends of the earth. There's your Jerusalem. There are some things to start praying about. But here's what we can all do. We can all do what Paul did and what Silas did. We can all go to people who need Jesus. And when we go to them, may we go differently than we have in the past. We don't go with picket signs and protests. We don't go with boycotts. We go with general spirits that live with them and among them 
and live them and love them to Jesus. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to give your life back to the one who gave his life for you? Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, a lot to pray about. I ask you to listen, and I ask you to look this morning. We've looked into Jerusalem. Next week, we'll look into Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But is God already starting to speak to you? Is he already starting to impress upon your heart one of these ministry areas? Don't dodge it. Don't ignore it. Sign up. Show up. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here today and you hear all this Jesus stuff and Jesus on mission and the kingdom. You say, man, I don't even know what that means. I know know there's a Jesus. I know that to be true, but he's not my Jesus. Maybe today your next step is to say, Jesus, I need to trust you with my life. I need to surrender to your amazing grace. If that's you, you ought to pray right where you are, even online. and Trust Christ. That's your next step. I know there are a lot of you in this room. You've made that step, but you haven't gone another step since salvation. You need to step into spiritual maturity. You need to step into growing in your faith the knowledge of the Son of God. You need to take the next step of stepping into kingdom ministry, seeking first His kingdom. Throughout Scripture, Jesus would call people to take a step publicly. He said, if you'll acknowledge the Father publicly, I'll acknowledge you before the Father. It's important to take that step. It's not a comfortable one. A lot of us would rather stay right there in our little private zone. But God is worth all the glory. Give the glory to God. If God is doing something in your life today and you need to take another step, our staff are going to be here at the front. I want you to come to them, grab them by the hand and say, this is the next step God's calling me to take. Maybe it's a step of church membership. Maybe it's a step of salvation. You need to be saved. Maybe it's a step and say, man, I need to surrender to the work of service. I've not been serving my Savior. I don't know what your step looks like, but I hope you'll take it. Spirit of God, empower each person here today. May they walk by you, Spirit of God. Not their own strength or their own ways, but God submitted unto you. Be glorified in these moments, we ask it in Jesus' name.